Hello, everybody, and welcome to Peaceful Anarchism on the Voluntary Virtues Network on theconsciousresistance.com and theseedsofliberty.com. So uh, Peaceful Anarchism is covered by the BIPCOT No Government License. This allows reuse by anyone except for governments and the agents thereof. You can find out more information for this at BIPCOT.org. So today I'm delighted to have on the show Daniel Luzonis, who is the um, founder of the Einstein Blueprint he has a podcast. He's also the father of uh, John Luzonis, um, wrote the book Kid Trillionaire, How a Little Kid Can Make a Big Fortune. And Daniel is a coach and he's, um, he's devoted himself to helping to teach other parents how to raise child entrepreneurs, teach them business, um, how to, uh, as he says, hyper accelerate your kids. And uh, I think you also said for tiger parents, right? <laughs> so uh, that's his tagline. So yeah, uh, Dan, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Excited, excited to be here and uh, spout off my shtick. <laughs> People call me dad trillionaire. Oh, yeah. I must be dad trillionaire. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm also homeschooldad.com and we got him homeschoolson.com. So uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're linked a little bit. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I first heard about you guys years ago, maybe like three years ago when I, I think I first saw um, your recording of John playing the hustler in, in uh, Washington Square Park. And uh, I think it went viral, right? <laughs> it went all over the place. It was a pretty cool video. Uh, it's always nice to see a kid um, destroy a hustler, you know, a trash talking hustler because <laughs> most of the time they're all talk. Um, well, that video, and I'm sure you'll probably link to it, but that video is like short little white kid against this big, you know, black guy, yeah. <laughs> two teeth. And so there was a contrast there that almost like, I don't know if you've seen this image online of this little kid squaring off against a sumo wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful. I, I really enjoyed that. And we, uh, we, I hope we get to talk a lot about chess because chess is is one of my new passions it's it's really a huge passion now and it's like as you know it doesn't matter how old or young or how many hands legs or what educational background that person is that's playing you they can kick your butt (laughs) it's a very level very level playing field yeah so true um i mean i'm also a chess coach and i have been teaching um online classes group classes private classes, um, homeschool, after school classes, all, all the kind of stuff for the past couple of years. And I really, really enjoy it. And I, just like John, actually, he got um, a big boost in his, um, his chess classes since the lockdown, similar to me, all of the classes that were in person and, and over the group um, uh, in person were uh, switched to online and, uh, you know, much easier, much more convenient. I can record the classes easier. It's just, you know, all around very nice. <laughs> So, yeah, so um, let's get started. Um, maybe um, we'll just introduce you and uh, like just give my audience a bit of a, your background, how you came to be uh, the person you are, how you came to um, see the world the way you do, and how you came to choose to raise your child as you do or, you should, or your kids. Right, be careful queuing me up because I, I can go a, a long time. <laughs> I, a long time. I, I joked that I could talk. Uh, it's not even a joke. I could talk the balls off the pool table, but I'll give you the short version. The short version is for those of you listening now, I guess I'm 40, 46 years old, 46 and a half, or just about grew up in central Massachusetts, Worcester, Worcester. A lot of people are going to be familiar with that. Maybe familiar with the accent. Worcester people aren't familiar with anything because they've never left. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things about Worcester, but I did break out and uh, well, 
public school through eighth grade, nine through 12th, Catholic all-male high school, very competitive school, 120 kids try out for the freshman soccer team. And so if you make the freshman team, you're considered a jock. And I made the freshman team and made the freshman basketball team, but I, was, I had splinters in my ass sitting on the, the far end of the bench. And, uh, you know, so sports was my thing, like everyone else, school and sports, school and sports, school and sports. But then something happened to me freshman year in, in high school. I went with the, the, the school's math team to a math meet, math competition. And nowadays, you'll, you'll probably have more math competitions at lower levels. But back then, it was, it was sort of undeveloped, sort of like the X Games or something like that. Mm. But no, it wasn't as, it wasn't as well developed. And I go to this freshman math meet, and the, the coach didn't even put me on the A team. Right? So I'm at this hyper-competitive all-male Catholic school where you, you can't even, you know, everyone went from being the best soccer player, best basketball player, the smartest kid in their class to now we're all the best. And, you know, it's kind of humbling and annoying and frustrating. Anyway, I go to this math meet and he didn't even put me in the top five. I was on the second six through 10. And I ended up getting a perfect score at this math competition. And I got 18 points out of 18 points. I was the only one in the County that, that got a perfect score. And so for me, it, it, it this was like, this was a huge inflection point in my life because, you know, I, I was familiar with physical competition, but not intellectual competition. And so now I'm number one and now I'm like, Whoa, I got to practice. I got to keep this position. And what happened was at the same time as my sports career started going away from me, as the other kids hit puberty sooner than me and were, were better as my sports career went away, this new door of opportunity opened in the math world. And I went ultra deep into math competition. And ultimately, my math team, I was a captain of the math team, and we won the New England Championships, the medium school division, New England Championships. And so it was probably one of the comp- most competitive leagues in America at the time, talking about 1992. And I was a captain of the new- – so that was big. And, and, and based on that alone, I got myself into the University of Pennsylvania. So this is how I got out of Worcester, Massachusetts. I almost stayed and went to what's called WPI, which is an engineering school there. Because if you're good at math, you become an engineer. That was – pretty much it that's what people said i mean you're getting your information from other highly profoundly ignorant people and so even in college like oh you i guess you're going to be an actuary or an engineer you're a math guy like what about an entrepreneur what about anything else like that those weren't even shark tank didn't exist the internet didn't exist and we were in the the dark ages information wise and and really it was the limits of your own personal experience and your family and the town you grew up in that kind of defined or determined the ceilings and the parameters for which you were going to, you know, the trajectory of how you launched out into the world. And so luckily I escaped to Philadelphia, majored in math and economics at at Penn. Penn again was on some levels, it was, it was easy for me. I went in with almost a full year of credit, seven out of eight courses. I with a full year of credit because I was taking you know, intermediate calculus at college and was basically a lot of that was math. But anyway, I, I go in there and again, it's humbling in some areas, but when you move and you travel and moving and traveling is like a mandate in my world. In in, in my curriculum of the Einstein blueprint, you have to move, you have to travel. Uh, There's that quote about a man who, you know, the world is a book and and the the man who hasn't traveled, hasn't read but a single page or something like that. Right. And, and when you move and you, when you, everybody who moves knows this, that it expands them personally. So I expanded in Philadelphia and uh, graduated early with those degrees. I was working a lot 
and basically became a derivatives trader. I wore an ugly jacket and I was on the floor of the Philadelphia Stock Exchange fighting with people, multimillionaires who were disgusting, nasty, ruthless, liars. We're fighting over lots of money. And it was highly, highly educational, if I can frame it that way, because you know, it wasn't easy. And you know, people screaming in your face, you mother effer this, I'm going to kill you that. And, you know, the broker comes in, I'll pay six and, uh, you know, five eights for 400 these calls. They say at three quarters, I got 50, take them sold. You don't even know what happened. Never mind. If you participate in it, you, you, you might lose a lot of money, <laughs> which, which happened. So I was introduced to, I kind of skipped the world of business and went straight into the world of speculative finance. If we can be euphemistic and call trading that we we told we told ourselves that we were providing liquidity we were providing a service and really we were just gambling and it wasn't until later on that i realized that that's exactly what we were doing but anyway i traded derivatives for a bunch of years and um, you know eventually uh, met a girl moved to brooklyn chased her to brooklyn business went away and here i am well when i was trading i thought i'd be a millionaire by the age of 30 without you know without question because everybody i knew down there had made a lot of money and the problem was my timing was I caught the tail end of the kind of the trading bubble. Uh, we got Amazon before Amazon was a million dollars a share. Technology came in, our profit margins, our, our, our bid-ask spreads uh, were evaporated. We were suddenly competing with people in, on the Pacific Exchange, on the, Americans, uh, on the MX in New York and Chicago. We're all competing against each other. And um, so here I am moving up to New York, thinking I've got an Ivy League education. I've got all this experience in the trading pit. I know a lot about trading and I'm going to move to New York city and get a job. And New York city is going to like, they're going to trip over. It's going to trip over itself trying to give me a job because of my credentials. And then I find out that, that nobody cared. Absolutely nobody cared. And so I started out life with this very steep trajectory. And so let's see, what year was that? That was probably, I was probably 26 years old around or 27 years old. And the next few years were tough for me as I tried to you know, transition to upstairs trading, which means trading, just staring at a computer, not being in a pit, not trading directly with customers, getting engaged and getting married. And lo and behold, I'm 30 years old and I'm, I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a trillionaire. And uh, my career kind of went away from me. And a couple of things happened that, that really, you know, they conspired together. Like this frustration conspired with me accidentally starting to read. I picked up a book by Will Durant, his book on, I don't know if anyone of your audience is familiar with Will Durant, but he is an ultra famous historian who spent 50 years, he and his wife, writing, I think it's an 11 volume story of civilization. And when you read this guy, if, if you, I just sent somebody uh, a couple of paragraphs that he wrote about religion. And if you read this, you will just feel like you know nothing because this guy is so erudite. He is so knowledgeable. And anyway, I stumbled upon this guy and I started reading. At the same time, the internet was incipient and nascent, whatever the word is. And you could Google things and you could email people and you could go down these hyperlink rabbit holes. And one thing led to another, led to another. It was connected knowledge, which is really Yes, and the only way our brains can, can process things is if it's connected, not, not the way they teach it in school. And so I started basically homeschooling myself, even though I had an Ivy League education, even though on paper everyone thought that I was going to crush it, that I had crushed it or whatever. In my mind, I knew it. I, I'd only tapped into a micro fraction of my own personal potential. And so I was very excited to learn. I was also extremely angry about all the, the years that I wasted fumbling around, 
in the wilderness, uh, chasing this, chasing that, not being exposed to these things, which I found out later on, were, were ultra critical to success in life. I didn't get them from my parents, from their friends, from my friends. At any at the at my vaunted high school or at my Ivy League college, and so again, I'm getting excited about learning, and I'm also getting very angry uh, about um, my life's frustration. Again, being 30 years old, I mean, there's look, there's all sorts of frustration in there. You know, the transition from being single to being double is tough, especially when you spend your single years being very, I call them my deformative years romping around Philadelphia, drinking five six nights a week, and now mm-hmm. now you're engaged, and then. I was also in a car accident back in 1999 and I basically lost my back in a car accident. And so that was humbling too. I mean, it literally flattened me and I had to spend most of my time uh, every day lying on my back. And uh, you think that's bad. Well, there's, there's a ripple effect because you can't work out, you know, your sense of vitality. I mean, all these things were working together. There were a confluence of factors that, that led to the Einstein blueprint. And of course, so I'm dealing with all that financial frustration, body frustration, life transitions. Anybody who's got newborns, we know, we know what they're going through. They don't know. Nobody warned them. They tell them to be nervous about diapers. Poopy diapers are like the easiest thing in the world <laughs> from, from, from conception through you know, their whole lives. The poopy diapers are like the easiest, <laughs> easiest thing in the world. So then I have these kids. And I, I, will, I will jump ahead a little bit, but I have these kids and I don't have any plan for them. I'm, I don't know how I'm going to educate them. It was just kind of like what you did. And I had uh, my son, John, who you, who you were gracious enough to have on the, on the show. And when he was about, I don't say, I have to go back and look at the exact date, but we were out at a cookout in central Massachusetts. And there was this little girl there who I thought was younger than him and she could count to 10. He couldn't. And I about crapped myself. Like I, I had such a sick feeling in my stomach. I'm like, where did this come from? Like, like that, that I had no idea. Like I wasn't even thinking about the education of my kids or what I wanted them to do. So if you, if you out there have young kids and you're like, I want to homeschool them or I want them to be on, you are so far ahead of me from where I was at that stage. Um, as, as long as you, as long as you, you, you keep moving forward, your kids are going to go off the charts. And this is what, I, this is what I use to encourage people like my own, my own slow start. And anyway, uh, so that was, he was probably around two, two and a half. I'd have to look up the date on that. But when he was three and a half, and I, I actually have gone back and looked at this date, he was actually three and five eighths years old. I started doing Kumon workbooks with my son. So now again, I'm learning all these things about myself. I'm getting excited about education. And I got a little kid in front of me. My wife bought a Kumon book. I didn't even buy the Kumon book. She bought them. She saw them at Barnes and Noble. And the Kumon book, which is still, you can still buy, they still sell it, tracing the numbers one through 30. So that's what they do. They start tracing numbers, tracing uppercase letters, lowercase letters. I just started sliding the breakfast dishes away from the table and just doing these workbooks with him. And what happened was that he started going through them so fast. And I'm not going to say there were no tears. <laughs> I'm not going to say there wasn't other stuff like, you know, uh, like a screens that needed to be removed from, from the house, like the television back then. Uh, there weren't a whole bunch of other factors, but you know, if I can just give you the, give it in a nutshell, basically I started doing work with pages from every day. I could see that his grade level was, was um, the books have grade levels on them. I could see that he was going to be super, super accelerated. And by the time, well, a year and a half after I started, so from three and five eighths to five and an eighth, it was, I believe January and he's nine months away from kindergarten. So not even going to kindergarten for nine months. Cause he's got a late November birthday. And we had finished, um, we basically finished all sixth grade math and we'd started algebra. 
So I, you know, he essentially, I was sitting down and I have, and I was looking at the pieces of paper or the images of them just yesterday on my computer. I was literally explaining to him, you know, how you isolate the variable and uh, you divide by the coefficient of X and solving. And I do this with my own students today, even kids as young as four, we solve simple equations. So he basically started algebra nine months before kindergarten. And I knew that he, he couldn't go to kindergarten because the kindergarten had an open house and they said, we hope at the end of the year, your, your kid knows how to count to 10 <laughs> and, and, and how to hold a book, not read a book, not write a book, but, but hold a book. And this, and this would have been like a year and a half from where I was at that point. So I kind of knew that he, he was never going to go to school, but I didn't, I never even knew what homeschooling was. I came across it online. I came across John Taylor Gatto's essay against school and I read it and it sounded outlandish. It sounded, uh, you know, it's not, he sounded like a lunatic, this guy. And I read his book and this is all happening simultaneously. So I'm working with him on workbooks. I'm dealing with my own personal frustration and um, also dealing with my own personal homeschooling. This is what I said. I homeschooled myself and I discovered that I had so much untapped potential that, that it was, that it was, it, it was frustrating. It was angering. It was a sin. And this is where like, I started to get really determined that I was going to you know, rocket launch my kids. And so, I mean, John was ba basically in those early years, he was like eight grade levels above in math. And so he was doing algebra at six and, you know, had read all the algebra at five, had read all the Harry Potter books at six. And by seven, we even started calculus and he, he never set foot in, in a school. And um, I was thrust into this homeschooling world, which was really a, a wasteland in Massachusetts. I would say that Boston or Massachusetts in general is probably the in some levels, like, I don't know if this is the right adjective, but it's the worst place, or it was at the time, the worst place to homeschool because Massachusetts is actually the, the birthplace and the center of formal, institutionalized, age segregated, all those, you know, government, all those adjectives that you and I throw in there, schooling. It's, it's actually the center of that. And so, you know, that's, that's how, um, you know, it started with John. Christina had her on an even steeper trajectory when with the math, because I knew what I was doing early on. Uh, but I took my foot, my, my foot off the pedal with math with both of them. And in some levels, I regret it. In some levels, I, I was right. But I said, you know, we're going to move on. We're going to do piano. We're going to do chess. I'm, I'm going to do the things, the supplemental things that I never did as a kid, because I just did soccer, basketball, and grades. So we cooled it a little bit with the math, and we expanded. And then after that, I read a book, a dangerous book about the, again, the educational power of travel called the, the New Global Student. I don't know if you've seen this in, my, in any of my propaganda, but it was about a woman from out West who was looking at her teenage girls and she says, you know, going to prom, being in high school, th these are not formative, transformative experiences for girls. She's, she's like, you know what? And she just punted them out to foreign countries and said, go figure it out, learn the language, go to school, whatever. Now I'm reading this book. And I'm like, the last thing I want to do, if I don't want to send my kids to school in America, I definitely don't want to send them to school in Cambodia or any place like that. And, but the, the problem is, and this is, something, this, this is something that most people can't do, is that you read through a book that you disagree with the author, you disagree, it frustrates you, it stresses you out, but there's a nugget in there that is incredibly important for you that you can't ignore. And what that nugget was, was basically what I said earlier, is the, the, the pure educational... Uh, value of or the profound educational value of travel. And I, and I thought back, well, when I moved from Philadelphia, uh, from Massachusetts to Philadelphia, my whole mind and world exploded. 
expanded is probably a better, better verb. And same thing when I moved to New York. And so, you know, I, I've given my wife the executive summary of this book and I'm haunted by this reality. <laughs> we all have these things. We know this is good for our kids and we're not doing it. We know this is bad for our kids and we're not, we're not knocking it off yet. And it's like, it was, I don't say it was haunting me, but I just said to her, this is where, you know, your husband and your wife, they have to compliment you. They have to encourage you. She says, you know, there's this, and this is where this was a perfect case of that in our own family. She said, you know, there's this position available in London and uh, maybe I could throw my, my name in the hat for it. And so we, we had this discussion, like somebody died because we just moved a bunch of times. We were mm. back in Long Island. We just got work done in the house. We just figured out a car mechanic, a hairdresser, a dentist. Moving, it takes a while. There's a transition. And we just got, we literally just got settled there. And we're like, oh, we got to move. And it's for our kids. Mm. And so they actually, once my wife meekly raised her hand like this, they, they said, you're gone. And they sent us to London. And we went there in 2014 for about 15 months. And again, that was like another inflection point in, in, in our, uh, you know, in our homeschool, in our family, in, in our lives. And at the time, I'm, I'm still, actually, I hate to backtrack a little, before we went, I actually started working with those aforementioned tiger moms. I actually hung up a, a shingle and said, I'll, you know, I'll teach your kids math. And I had a video of John deriving the quadratic formula i think when he was five or, so, or six or something like that and i could basically show that to any of these tiger moms in new york and they're like oh you know they think i'm zeus or something like that or play, or what's euclid euclid or right. let's say mathematician <laughs> right. and can you teach my kids and so i started out doing that and i gradually started raising my prices to up the new york pay scale and but i walked away from that i moved to london and i work with these kids over skype still so i was transitioning in my career away from trading the markets to actually becoming a, a private teacher and not, I mean, I, I would call myself a tutor or a teacher, but when we were in London, I actually read another book, a dangerous book. Books are dangerous. If you, <laughs> if, 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 if they hit you the right way, it was oh, called yeah. uh, the prosperous coach. And I'm reading this book about life coaches. And just as I didn't know anything about homeschooling, I didn't know anything about the world of coaching. I didn't understand how you could pay someone 10, 20, $50,000 or how, why anybody would do that just so they could talk on the phone with a, a quote life coach. Mm-hmm. And they, I don't think they use the word life coach as much anymore. They're just plain old coaches. But I realized that w- what I was doing beyond math, helping parents unleash their kids full potential, that that was tra- more transformative than, or at least as transformative as the coach who helps someone grow their business or save their marriage or whatever. And so I basically hung another new shingle up that said, Hey, I will teach your kids and coach you, you through like the whole process, not just math. And that was the birth of, of, of the Einstein blueprint. And that was born when I was over there in London and before we came back, but those books, man, reading John Taylor Gatto, reading Will Durant. I mean, you know, I actually have a, a newsletter uh, and, and I'm willing to share this with, with your readership. Uh, I'll, I'll send you a copy and you can forward it. But I think the t- I titled it um, your kid is just one book away. And Warren Buffett has talked about this too. He's like, everybody wants to know what kind of cars I drive, but they don't want to know what books I read to let me buy the cars. Like right. these books are, these books are huge. And I don't know, you can't really see we're on video here. You can't really see my, my bookshelves, but we moved again, by the way, we've moved twice more after <laughs> we'll get to that. But uh, my books are like sacred to me. 
and I can look at them. I can, I can just look at the spines of the books and, and I can be grateful. I can be inspired. I can be motivated. I can be reminded. And, um, but you know, that's bibliophilia. You know, most people have, have, have bibliophobia. I know, I don't know if that's a good right. enough. I told you I could talk the balls off a pool table or maybe the balls off all the pool tables in a whole billiard center, but I, I'll let you, I'm sure you got some things you want to jump in with. You know, you mentioned uh, that books are sacred. I think I've used that term as well to describe books to, as, with me. Um, my book, case is uh is yeah one of my most prized possessions and i was actually um just uh just yesterday i was at a meeting with a bunch of homeschoolers we did this recital and a bunch of the the kids played music and i was telling them that um as i was at this woman's house i was looking at her bookcase and i said because i think that when you go over to somebody's house the way that you understand the uh, the nature of a person is you look at their bookcase. What are you reading? <laughs> what are you putting into your head? What right? about the um, what about the medicine cabinet? No. Oh, the medicine cabinet is good, interesting too. Okay, good, good. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, for me, it's the bookcase. It's like I meet someone. I'm like, I mean, show me your bookcase. I want to see. You know, it's like uh, it's like the quickest way to understand or to 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 get to know a person because um, yeah, talking sometimes talking is good, but uh, yeah, bookcase is the uh, you know the. Uh, is the fast track? <laughs> if if the if the spines are broken, I, I've been ah, <laughs> oh, you're right. Good I've been to people's homes and they had unbelievable amounts of beautiful on Long Island, huge beautiful books, but they're in a book club, uh, so they're getting slammed with these books. And first of all, they're not nonfiction; they're not personal growth books, right? Right, cheesy pop boilers. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the spines have to be broken. And I have, I'm looking at my bookshelves here, and, and almost all those those spines are broken. And, and I also do <laughs> log you know, I keep track of my books and I share them with my members. And I, I think in 2016, I think I read 111 books. Whoa. And um, I actually got to the point where I was reading too much and not (laughs) writing enough. And reading is a form of enlightened procrastination too. So (laughs) enlightened procrastination like that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, I I think, um, yeah, I used to do a lot more reading um, way before kids uh and uh yeah actually that's kind of true i've been doing a lot more writing like i, I started my blog my podcast and my website and so yeah i've been doing a little bit more writing articles blog posts different things like that but um but yeah so you mentioned a lot of things um there's a lot of ground there yeah you start talking about education and parenting it's just it's I, I had these tv coaches trying to get me on tv years ago uh-huh. and they want me to tighten up tighten up i'm like well everything's connected <laughs> it's not they're like you're just a math and reading guy i'm like well, you, you want to they, they literally told me not to talk about parenting oh they man. said it, like they don't get it like they yeah. like the first module of the einstein blueprint is parent power and i work with parents on pushing them so that they can see their own potential so that they can set a better example so that they you know like you, you can't separate reading and writing from parents Mm. oh yeah mom and dad watch tv all day and they tell the kids to go read it's not gonna work <laughs> right exactly it, it just doesn't doesn't work yeah 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 and, and similar to you i think uh before i we had kids so my kids are now um 10 and 8 and before we had kids we both didn't think twice that we were going to put them into government school like that was even not even a second thought for us and but at what age what age did you have that discussion or what age were they when you had that discussion uh, the homeschooling discussion. So, so when my son was born in 2010, um, and he was just an infant, and and then that's when that's that was my catalyst moment. 
that's when I started reading um, a bunch of things about economics, about business, about entrepreneurship, about capitalism, about free markets. Uh, John Terlegato, I got a, yeah, a couple of his books. Uh, yeah, a bunch of things and um, and peaceful parenting as well. And and so, um, yeah, the, the government school was just never an option <laughs> at all for us. So, yeah, just like your kids, my kids never stepped foot in anything like daycare, preschool, kindergarten, nothing. Uh, you know, we, I tell, I like to tell people that, you know, especially during this lockdown, everyone's, you know, everyone says they're homeschooling and, um, but, uh, no, you know, I, I like to tell people we were homeschooling before it was cool. Mm. <laughs> right. So, uh, but, but and I was talking about this with John also that, uh, it's so, so unfortunate that during this lockdown, you know, so many parents, they, um, you know, they, they realize how much they dislike the company of their own kids, you know, it's like they they just don't like it. it it's, it's, it's like, why are you even a parent? If you can't even stand the the presence of your own child, you can't you can't take a moment to explain things and to, you know, enlighten them. And well, wait, let's let's unpack that because that's huge. And yeah. it's not it's not natural. It, it's not natural. I mean, I, I the way I describe it is that school drives a wedge between parents and kids. It, it puts them in oh, yeah. a, bios, a biosphere of their own. Oh, puts yeah. them in that that peer environment and it also segregates well, well they don't spend any time together right they, these, oh, yeah. these the dad spends four to seven minutes a day talking to his kids and and they spend more time with their peers and at school than they do with their parents so there there really is no relationship there and not only it's not only that wedge it, it drives a wedge between kid, kids and their grandparents they don't mm. have time for them right. it, it drives a wedge between kids and you know work yeah. Because they've got homework, they don't have time to work, so they they can grow up thinking that the the economy they don't even know what the economy is or what it depends on. Right. So school, but school's designed to do that. I mean, as you know, you read John Taylor Gatto. Mm. It was designed to Americanize this this horde, this rabble of of immigrants, and it, it's it's had a few little tweaks to its purpose, uh, obedience training also, and but but it was designed as you know from any well and anyone who's listening should go read John Taylor Gatto if they don't believe it. school was not designed to unlock kids full potential it was designed to divide families and to create um you know later on a, a mass market of voters and and consumers and if you you know I'm a christian so I have a whole other narrative available to me and I'm like well this is the devil mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that you know if if you're not a believer then then you you don't have that available to you, you you're stuck with uh you know, just looking at the facts, mm-hmm. but you, John Taylor Gatto does an amazing job just breaking down the, the words of, um, you know, John Dewey and all these people who didn't even have kids themselves and what they wanted and the words of the, the teachers union presidents. It's like nowhere, even go down the street to your school. You can't find a school in America that says we, your kid has an infinite potential. We want to unleash it. They, they don't even joke around about it. They don't even like, <laughs> there's not even any pretense that that's what they're about to do. It's a degree. It's you go to school because everyone else does because, you know, we just, we just want to, we don't want them to imagine that there's another way. And that's what we all really suffered from. We all suffered from being that frog in the well who thinks the top of the well is, is basically the sky, right? Until you get out, until you move to Philadelphia, until you start reading books and, and what books do is if they don't get you out of the well, they give you vicarious experience. They give you synthetic experience and exposure to things that you can't find otherwise. And we, with the internet now, theoretically, this is for, for true learners. This is the greatest boon ever. I mean, you can figure out how to change your rearview mirror on a 1978, whatever 
car <laughs> on YouTube. Right. You can learn how to play the piano. You can, learn, you can get free chess lessons. You can do anything. But most people, I mean, 99 point, probably close to 9% of people don't, don't, don't use the internet educationally. And, they, and even if they do, they don't understand how to, how to mitigate its, um, its downsides. Mm. Yeah, yeah. People are like, you know, because, you know, you can, I don't know, learn things that are dangerous or, or do other things that like the internet should be regulated should monitor should be controlled by the state you know like i mean i mean what, is, what are you learning from tv <laughs> you know it's like it's like uh it's not going to point you in the right direction it's like life life has uh life has good you know good choices and bad choices and and just because this the existence of the internet you know allows you to do all these wonderful things doesn't um release you from the or the, from the responsibility that you have for choosing you know what you want to do with your limited free time so you still got to use your brain and discriminate uh what is worth devoting time to and what is not it's not easy to do i mean you, you go in the you go in the elevator in new york and they've got screens there i mean they've got right. you take your kid to the dentist and they've got mounted ipads and video games right you want your kids to hang out with kids who aren't you know, addicted to um, social media or video games, it's not easy to find them. It's, it's, it definitely takes, it definitely takes a, um, uh, did you ever see that movie, the mosquito coast? No. Oh, that's a great one for you. You would love that. Uh, basically coast. Harrison Ford classic movie from the eighties. He takes his, he's like, this isn't education. What is the capital of Kansas? And he takes his kids to like the rainforest in Latin America. And like, this is where you're going to learn. And, mm. Every home that that's a terrific like classic homeschooling movie. I don't watch a lot of movies anymore, so I don't know the new ones. There was that one in somewhere in Seattle. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Mm. Where the guy had five kids. Mm, My wife no. told me to watch it. Is uh, it a recent one? Yeah, the last few years. Everyone's like, "Oh, watch this homeschooling." I don't need to watch a homeschooling movie. I don't, we don't. We don't have. Wait, a is that is that, is that Mr. Fantastic? Maybe. Yeah, I think so. Guy uh, Vigo Morkinson. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> he raises Captain, Fant Captain Cap Fantastic. Captain, Captain, that's it. Captain Fantastic. Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty interesting. They're kind of a pretty militant <laughs> homeschooling type of setup. Uh, but like, a well, we get that though, right? We have a full spectrum, right? So right. I didn't know anything about homeschooling. I'm, I'm starting with my kids in Massachusetts where the internet, the chat rooms, Yahoo, Mass there's not a lot of communication, not a lot of people. And I'm nervous. I'm like, my wife said to me, I don't want our kids to grow up too weird. And I still rib her about that. No, she said too different. She didn't say weird. Uh -huh. I don't want them to grow up too different. Uh -huh. And because, you know, I was at 100% homeschool and she's at 10 or 15%. There's always, you know, yeah. a leader and a lagger. Sure, sure. You no, know, sure. people aren't clones, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go to this homeschooling event and literally the people there look so weird that I literally, they said, are you here for the hike? And I almost, I literally almost said, nope. I, I, and we go on this hike and there were kids that from Canada didn't even speak English. And there were kids with uh, Bible verses on their shirt and Ron Paul bumper stickers. And they're like literally full on pagans there. And I'm not saying everybody gets along, but the diversity in the homeschooling world is, is far beyond the diversity you're going to get at Harvard or any of these other you know, fake diverse environments. And whenever you, it's because we have so much freedom. You have oh, yeah. the freedom to do math nine hours today or, or, or no math at all for nine years. Right. And you're going to get, you're, you're going to get a diversity of outcomes. And um, that's why you can't generalize about homeschoolers. They're all, I can't tell you how many times I've met people who said, if I knew it could be done the way you did it, 
I would have done it. Well, I, most of the time I'm going to call bullshit on that, but um, <laughs> you know, anybody can say they would have done something in the past, right, right. but I do understand that, you know, I didn't have any models to, I didn't have someone to look up to. You know, there's a bunch of crunchy moms in the homeschooling world is run by moms and um, that's good. And it's bad. I mean, everything's good and it's bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's bad for them for the, for homeschool kids math. I'll tell you that it's bad for their <laughs> discipline. Um, it's, it's, it's bad that these dads aren't involved with their kids. There's a homeschooling dad LinkedIn group among, and someone started a thread and they all, they said, how much do you do with the homeschooling? And they all said, my, my wife does 99%. My wife does 99%. My wife, this is what they all said. And when I showed that to my wife, she was pissed. She's like, typical men think that being in charge is, is, is work. <laughs> And, and, you know, like a lot of the women enable it. They're like, let my husband go work and I'll deal with the kids. But you know what? That kid is better off. I don't want to say with 50, 50, but way different ratio of 99 uh, to one when it comes to parental involvement. Right. So like, I didn't, I I was out there fumbling, trying to find people for my kids to connect with who were interested in doing math. A lot of people, as you know, they think that if you have your kid do three hour math sessions, that you're a child abuser. That's what they think. (laughs) And uh, you may even think that, I don't even know, but, uh, um, you know, it's, it's not easy and, and you're lonely. Uh, just like sometimes entrepreneurs are lonely or whatever. Anytime you're different, uh, you're lonely. And thankfully for me, I am very comfortable. If, in fact, if I'm not lonely, I'm almost uncomfortable. That's like, that, uh, <laughs> I would never join any club that would have me as a member. Type of deal. <laughs> if you like me, I'm not, I don't want to join. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. You brought up a, great, a lot of great points there. Um, yeah. So let's see. What, what, what did you? Oh my goodness. So many things. Oh, um, all over the place. I know. <laughs> I mean. I mean. I mean. Homeschooling is definitely, definitely can be very, very lonely. Um, and I think that's one reason that a lot of parents are afraid of it. You know, they're frightened by that. They they say, you know, I don't want to be the odd person out. I don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. But now I say people, especially with the internet, that's not as uh, big of a problem as it used to be. How many Facebook homeschooling groups do you find? So many, you know, people starting homeschooling groups all the time. You know, you, you can find, it's so easy to find other parents that do homeschooling, meet up with them, hang out, you know, and, and like you said, the diversity is, is awesome. You know, the People always say, you know, well, do your kids have friends? I'm like, I'm barely at home. I'm I'm out. I'm driving every single day, you know, to go um, to their classes, gymnastics, ballet, fencing. You know, I teach chess classes. They come sometimes. They come and help me, and and I and I pay them, and and you know, that's their first job. And they're like, "Are you paying me enough?" And I, and, I, and I'm like, "Well, you're eight, okay? So do you think anyone was going to give you a job at eight years old? So you would be making zero, but you're making five. So isn't that isn't that better than zero? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I, and I only tell them that I teach. I'm going to pay you as long as you do a good job. Professionalism. You have work ethic. You treat the treat the students right, and you don't contribute to craziness that you know a lot of little kids uh, tends to tends to uh, awaken. <laughs> well, you know the loneliness thing. If we backtrack a little bit, a yeah. lot of my people are lonely in their own home because their spouse is unsupportive. Ah, right. And I started doing a little my own little poll, I was going up, we were living in London and I went up to all my homeschoolers and I said, does your husband uh, help out? And basically they all said what those dad said in the thing. And not only did a a lot of them do nothing with Mm. their kids, a lot of them criticized the house is dirty. A lot of them 
constantly said the kids should go to school. Mm. Uh, so, so there's a difference between not helping, being neutral, and being like an underminer. Come home, put the TV on, right? Yeah. And, oh, only watch a game with my kid. You know, and it's very complicated too. Like it sounds very judgmental what I just said, and I know it's not easy because dad has got some corporate job that he hates. And just like the kid comes home from five days of school or every day after school and wants to zone out with video games from like get some type of therapeutic catharsis from the, the hell they just went through. Sure. Dad's doing a, a corporate job that doesn't light him up. And he comes home and you're like, dad, why don't you like read the kid a story or do some math with them mm. or whatever. Dad wants a beer and he, he, he wants to watch a game. I mean, like, you know, because he, he wasn't educated to be a kid trillionaire or on the Einstein blueprint. And so there, there's this cycle that you, you kind of have, you kind of have to break out of as a family. And that's kind of like the goal is, is, is to move uh, way outside of the collective. And there's such a strong force of gravity pulling you and your kids, even within the homeschooling community, we, we just moved. Well, we moved a couple of times. So we moved from Long Island to Manhattan three years ago. And then we moved out of New York City. We live right by the World Trade Center. I thought I was going to die there. I thought that my 12th move would be my last move. Mm -hmm. I loved it. But we moved to Naples to get away from all the peaceful looting, talking about peaceful parenting, all the peaceful (laughs) protesting in in New York. And uh, my wife predicted it. She says, they're going to riot here. We left in April. She says, they're they're creating a a pressure cooker here and Mm -hmm. people are going to go nuts. And there were even announcements saying they weren't going to open the beaches. Mm. in april mm. why would you not they said they don't have time to train lifeguards the same <laughs> lifeguards that have been there for 10 years like yeah. they literally wanted to create that incendiary environment in new york wow. yeah but we had to leave and so we're, we're down here in florida and we're in all these we went from boston we started in boston which was like the worst place to homeschool new york was a little bit tough too and it's tough for a different reason people aren't afraid to be different in new york they just can't afford to live off of one salary or one and a half salaries and so New York, there was a lot of people in and out of homeschooling, but there was more of it. It was, it was definitely better. And there's a lot of things to do in New York, museums, preserve, and the, New York is, if you can afford it, New York is, the, and if they have cops that are allowed to, um, you know, if there's not, if the criminals are, are not in charge <laughs> for whatever reason, <laughs> then, then New York is the best place to homeschool. Uh, we went, that was our second stop, well, London in the middle, but then Naples here, it's been, you know, we would go to homeschooling groups and they would say, well, we're not taking any new students. Like in New York, we're, we're begging for new students. In Florida, they're like, well, we're full. Nope. It was, it was almost, we were like, we're all excited to come down here. And they're like, you go start your own group. Mm, and so like wow. my kids, they go to like, you know, these activities and stuff. And I'm like, look, I'm, I'm against it. I'm against the, I'm against the classical conversations. I'm against the classes. I'm against this stuff. I'm not saying don't do it but I want you to start your own classes. I want you to organize your own activities. I don't want you to just become a consumer in the homeschooling world. So again, this is this gravity that's constantly pulling you down and to be, you know, for my kids, even to hang out with, you know, John, he's hanging out with all these great kids. None of them are doing like a couple of them are doing business, but like none of them really are. And I'm like, well, this guy's dad just gave him a car. Like, no, I don't want his dad giving him a car to make you think that (laughs) this dad is going to give you a car. (laughs) Right. So, you know, we're constantly like doing battle with um, maybe an unsupportive spouse or and working within the limits of it's never going to be ideal where we live. It's, it's, it's never, ever going to be ideal. And so you have to move. You have to travel. You have to create your own groups. I got this one student in California. The kid is four years old. He's a genius. Math. Parents pushing 
they're trying to find a math group. I say, just launch it. Say, my kid's doing advanced math. Who wants to ha- hang out? Start the math club. But this is how we were all raised. Look around. What can I buy? What can I join? Whatever. Not what can I start? Mm, right. And that, that's, a huge, that's a huge shift. Um, you know, if we can impart that to our kids, like on every level. The, you're not a consumer of education. You're not a consumer of other people's. You, you're, you're, you, you don't want to cr- get a job. You want to create a job. If, we, if they can just get that, if they can set their own goals and not let who's ever winning a ball game on TV or who's ever getting a lot of likes on Instagram, those people set the kids' goals, and then we've won. And so, I mean, my shtick is, you, you know, my Einstein blueprint shtick is your kids have infinite potential. The whole world is conspiring to suffocate it. Only you, mom and dad, um, can ward off these forces and um, see that their their true potential, um, you know, blossoms. That that's that's it. And so the, it, that's the framework that we're that's the landscape that we're all operating within. And we also have limits of what we know, what we don't know. And you know, we are products of a very inferior <laughs> educational system, and we all have bad habits, perfect mind and perfectionism. You know, procrastination. And so, like, we're, we're, I'm learning on this and. If mom and dad are not learning and pushing themselves, um, it makes it a little bit harder to to to, um, to push our kids. Right. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> awesome. Yeah. You touched on so many great points. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you, you're so you're so right. That's that so few parents are encouraging um, their kids to become entrepreneurs. And um, I mean, I, even even in the homeschooling community, as you mentioned, that uh, even so few people are encouraging entrepreneurship. Um, and that's such, it's such a valuable, uh, trajectory to have your kid go on to, you know, that, you know, even my wife, like, like you said, your wife is very, uh, is a little bit critical of, uh, I guess how much you homeschool, same thing with my wife. And, you know, in the back of her mind, she's always worried, you know, are we doing enough? Are the kids learning enough? Are they going to be self-sufficient, self-reliant? Um, personally, I have no fear about the future. I, I have, um, I, I feel um, a great amount of uh, confidence and faith in my kids. They, they are, they're bright, they're learning, they have the free time to devote to what they're interested in and what they're passionate about. And they're getting better and better in those, in those fields. And I, I have no question that they will be able to provide value and, and they won't be boxed into, you know, you know, becoming an employee. I mean, they could if they want, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't have to, right? Because I'm. I want them. You know, I'm, I, I actually derived a lot of inspiration from your son, in in that he's. Um, you know, I, I heard him mention that he's um, trying different business ideas, like something like once a month. I think he mentioned, right? Um, so that's that's really awesome. That's really great. Get that. Get the muscle um, going for that uh, that kind of creativity. And my kids derive inspiration from him as well. So, and from his book, you know, we're reading his book as well. So, um, so yeah, uh, yeah, we're about, uh, we, we have 10 minutes left. So, so you want to describe, um, you want to go into maybe more of the Einstein blueprint or do you want to talk a little bit about the chess or what, what do you want to, what do you want to finish oh, up with? Well, let's just follow up on what you just said there about, um, well, if, if John was doing Facebook marketing, if he was just doing one thing, he could probably make a lot of money. Right, because that was hot the last few years. Every business is going to advertise on Facebook, and mm. you know, like a lot of people have made money selling the picks and shovels for the either the YouTube or the whatever. Um, but I've never been about maximizing income, e- even for myself. And I want to max. 
the goal, one of the goals of the Einstein blueprint is to raise extremely well-rounded kids. Extreme, that means that doesn't mean they're good at math, science, and in, in writing. That means that they can speak publicly. Uh, that, that means that they have high degree of social intelligence. They have play instruments, play sports a little, whatever. But in, and I have disagreements with people over this, that entrepreneurs, you know, they say one kid go all in on one thing. I'm like, no, no, I don't want them to go all in on one thing. Um, diversity equals stability. That's what Dan Kennedy teaches us. And it's, it's one of Buffett's tenets. And, you know, that's how you become bulletproof. So John made money from selling his book. So when John wrote Kid Trillionaire, he started, I didn't want him to put it on Amazon. I said, I want you to sell it on the streets of Manhattan. <laughs> and I got the idea because I saw a guy out of the New York Public Library selling his book. Mm-hmm. That was where I got the idea. Ah. And we, 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 we put him at a table on 6th Avenue and with a stack of books, this little kid. <laughs> and he needed to learn how to talk to people. And people would come up to him and they'd say, well, why should I buy this? What, what's yeah. in it for me? What's it about? Right. And they were literally judging him by how he, he, he um, you know, his little sales pitch. I wanted him to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so when we left New York City, he could stand out all day in the streets here in Naples. And he's not going to, you know, he's not going to sell a lot of books. Mm-hmm. Um, he could, but he, I mean, I'm pushing him on that. Mm-hmm. But his business, the, the rug got pulled out from under him. And he'd already started teaching a little bit chess online. And basically his online chess teaching, you know, has, has exploded. And so he got, he's even some, had some months where like, like, like a handful of books were sold um, because now you really, you can only buy it through his website, whatever. But it's a good thing he had that other iron in the fire. And you, you don't want to be all in on, on your health club and not have an online business or a product you sell or enough high network. I mean, that's, you, you've got to have, you've got to have a diversity to, to be really safe. And and I would even argue uh, in the entrepreneurial world, uh, Mark Cuban has said, you, you only got to be right once. Right. So there, there's venture capital hedge, not hedge fund, but venture capital private equity model is I'm going to invest in 10 companies want to make a little, one break even, seven go bankrupt, and one knock, one goes up 200x or whatever. That's kind of how they think. And I don't think it's the same with parenting. I think you can be right 98 times out of 100. If your kid doesn't know how to look before they cross the street, because whatever, mm-hmm. I think you're done. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like the Titanic, even a small leak can, can sink a, a great ship. And so, you know, diversity equals stability and prosperity in the entrepreneurial world. But I also think that, you know, if your kid has a problem um, physically and you don't address it, 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 it could metastasize very easily. Like if they have a bad, po- if your kid has bad posture, that's not, it doesn't get better on its own. Right. And bad posture sends a ripple effect, you know, through their self image and, you know, compresses their lungs and it gets harder to fix. And so again, the Einstein blueprint is about raising extremely, extremely well-rounded kids. I mean, module one is parent power. We talk about mastering uh, minds, memory, visualization, stuff like that. Uh, Goal setting. I mean, kids need to learn these things. They don't need to wait till they're 40 years old and go to a Tony Robbins event and say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to get motivated and set some goals. Well, they could do that uh, from day one. There's nothing about the world of personal development that um, has an age minimum. And the other thing I wanted to say that you talked about your frustration with why more homeschoolers aren't interested in entrepreneurship. Well, what I spend a lot of my time doing is trying to convince entrepreneurs they should homeschool and trying to convince homeschoolers that they should, 
that the end game is entrepreneurship, nice. right? Because one of the big mistakes that homeschoolers make is they just do school better. Mm. And their kid is 17 years old and they end up sending their kid to some crap college because they don't know what to do. Now, mm. if that 17, 18 year old kid had five businesses right. and they were like, they were already in motion. Right. Like, why would they, why would they go to college? Like, right. This was Michael exactly. Dell. Michael Dell was selling computers and his parents are forced him to go to college, become a doctor. And he's making like 300 grand in the summer selling computers out of his trunk. He was already <laughs> in motion. So he didn't make a conscious decision. I'm going to work. The decision was made way back when, as he was dabbling. Mm. Right. And so, yeah, I, these these homeschoolers if they're if they don't there's kind of like a dichotomy there your your kid's either going to be an entrepreneur or a self-propelled entrepreneur or they're going to be a wage slave there's there's not much in between mm. right and they'll become a wage slave by default and they will have you know be working nine to five have two weeks off a year and so many so many bad things happen like one of the ways i sell the blueprint is or even you know john's uh, you know, what, why raise entrepreneurs is so that you can have maximum time and money leverage in life. Like most of us feel like we don't have any time because, well, that's because we have had a crappy, not an Einstein blueprint, but like a moron blueprint, a wage slave blueprint. <laughs> right. So we're, we're, we're way behind the game. At our age, we should have multiple streams of passive income and systems set up and the capacity to, to, to start selling hand sanitizer and gloves when there's a fake pandemic over a fake virus. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, that's the position we should have been in so, so that we can play offense. But again, it, it all comes back to education, right? Like there, we, none of us have a problem or a weakness that uh, can't be solved with more education. And it wasn't caused by a, a lack of or, or an incorrect education, you know, early on. Um, and the Einstein blueprint, uh, it's not the Dan blueprint, although I, I do like the name Dan. You probably like it too. The, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Einstein is just synonymous with genius. And the, the idea is that it's, 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 it's curated. The Einstein blueprint is the, the empirical, I would say, curation of or the distilled wisdom of what the most successful people, like what does Steve Jobs say about focus? What does Jeff Bezos say about this? What did Abraham Lincoln say about books? Everything he's learned, he's learned from books. It's like, these are the people who should be, who our kids should be modeling. These are the kids at whose feet our kids should kneel and be learning from, right? Like straight line. You know, why, why would you want to learn golf from anyone other than Tiger Woods? Why would you want somebody educated at the University of Chicago who's 25 years old, who probably can't hit a golf ball <laughs> teaching you golf? Like just go straight to the smartest, most successful people in every single field. The books are there. Amazon can deliver whatever you want in a minute. And, and you can avoid all, all this um, pain, suffering, and, and gnashing of teeth. Now, as you know, you, you hear in your, your friends, there are all these school people who complain about things. It's like, well, hit the eject button. Like, why, why are you putting yourself through that? One of my friends, well, my cousins lives in New Jersey, and she spent an hour a day with one kid on math homework. It's mm. hard. An hour a day with the one kid. And like, well, that's what I was doing. I'm like, why don't you just homeschool? Like, you're already doing the work. Mm. You know, so and you can avoid all these things. And what we did three years ago was we sold our our house in Long Island, suburban house. Uh, I thought it was the top of the market. It pretty much was the top of the market out there. And we moved into New York City so that we could rent, so that commutes could go down, so that my kids could have autonomy. Like everything we've done has been so thought out, so strategic, and so engineered 
you know, for our kids to have experiences to, so my daughter can go into a building and babysit for Goldman Sachs, um, you know, people that pay her 80 bucks on Friday night, like everything was strategic. And, um, you know, but that's, that's what you, that's what you can do when you play offense, when you get the reading out of the way, when you get the math out of the way and, um, you know, you start your kids, um, you know, on a, on an upward trajectory. And, and the only way you can really do that is if the mom and dad are on an upward trajectory and what an awesome thing it is when, when the whole family is learning and growing and sees education for what it is. I mean, education is most people think that learning school and education is like, you know, the most painful thing on earth. And I'm like, well, no, this is, this is the treasure map. This is life's treasure map is education. Mm. And so j- just because, you know, um, the socialists have co-opted the environmentalism movement, it doesn't mean you shouldn't pollute. Like, you know, you can't let school ruin you for education. And the last thing I'll say, cause I do have to run is I say that school fails everybody, right? It, it failed, you know, everyone's like, Oh, it fails underprivileged minority, poor kid. No, no. School either gives you false confidence, like it gave me, who was Ivy League bound, or you know it gives you low self-esteem where you think you're stupid when you really do have. I mean, I believe everybody has infinite potential in some areas, and so you know, school is just—it's really a blight on society. And um, you know, the good news is there is an eject button. You had it easier than I had it in 2010. Whenever you were a new father, you had it easier than I had it in 2004, just six years later, it got a lot easier. Mm. And I, and I suspect that, uh, you know, even now it's, it's, it's way easier with zoom and with right. the online offerings, but, but, but still, you know, I don't homeschool like anybody else. Like I'm like a one percenter the way I homeschool. So my stuff is like way different than the way everybody else does it. And that, that's why I believe I get different results. Um, but you know, we could talk about that another time if you want, but um, I do have to run right now. And so, um, so before you go, uh, awesome conversation. Before you go, please just give your contact information uh, if people can uh, want to learn more about your work, your website. Um, you know, well, yeah, where can they find you? Social media, that kind of stuff. Well, I direct everybody to my podcast mainly, the Einstein Blueprint. Uh, you'll find that podcast. I have over six hundred episodes out there. And, you know, usually people listen to me, they say, I binge listen to you. And then they either buy my Einstein blueprint or they reach out to me or, or whatever. So I, I that's kind of like the, the place I point everybody, but you can go to EinsteinBlueprint.com. You can email me, Dan at EinsteinBlueprint.com. I'm going to send, uh, I'm going to send you this report on, on books and that you can share with your readers too. So I'll send you that PDF. Um, you can get a little bit. Thank you. More of a and, but and w- we're doing so many things here. I mean, I got, if I told you what I was doing at a tactical level with four-year-olds on math and, and chess, it's like so many things that um, it's exciting, but it, 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 it's a lot. And yeah. when most people meet me, I kind of like, they're like, you just confused me. Like, oh. <laughs> when I first read John Taylor Gatto, I had that same reaction. Right. Well, um, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll talk again. We, we didn't even touch on chess, so maybe, maybe we can uh, do that in another conversation. That'd be yeah, great. We, we, uh, maybe we should play a game of chess against each other. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> and during and the interview. But I need, I need odds. I need rook odds. <laughs> so, so real quick, I ask every one of my guests, what is your favorite quote of all time? What would you oh. say? Favorite quote of uh, all time? I'll, I'll give you all time. I'll give you the one that I use. I was just talking to my pastor this morning. It's like from, from New Testament. It's do not conform to the patterns of this world it's from romans 12 i think it is beautiful and uh do not conform right and it's like you got all these christians wearing masks and i'm like wait it says don't conform it says don't conform why are you conforming don't conform that, that reminds me of the, 
That, that reminds me of the Mark Twain quote. Uh, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time pause. to pause and reflect. <laughs> yeah, and probably, and it's not just, you know what? It's not just pause and reflect. It's, it's time to like hightail it in the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> run the opposite direction. Don't walk, run. Wonderful, wonderful conversation, Dan. Really appreciate it for coming on the show. Uh, so yeah, if anybody wants to help me out, PayPal or Patreon, you can help me out. Dollar show is all I ask. Um, value for value. If you enjoy what you're listening to, that's the capitalist way. So uh, thanks a lot again, Dan, for coming on the show. This is um, Peace Anarchism on the Voluntary Virtues Network on theconsciousresistance.com and theseasonliberty.com. Uh, Wishing all of you have a wonderful day. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this content and would like to see more of it, please feel free to donate and help me interview other fascinating people. You can do so through Patreon. That's patreon.com slash peacefulanarchism to help me out. A dollar a show is all I ask. If you feel so inclined to donate more, please feel free. It will only assist me in spreading the message of freedom and volunteerism that much farther and that much more efficiently. You can also donate to my Bitcoin. My Bitcoin address is in the description to my videos as well as on my website, peacefulanarchism.com. And while you're on my site, there's a donate button to donate through PayPal. If you prefer to donate through PayPal, you can do so with that. But Patreon is a little bit easier for content creators as you can set up a recurring donation if you so desire. Also, while you're on my website, peacefulanarchism.com, please feel free to sign up, enter your email address, sign up for my newsletter, and you'll receive updates every time I post something, a video or an interview. I do not send out any spam. Or you can also follow me on Facebook under facebook.com slash peaceful anarchism or facebook.com slash Danilo Cuellar 3, I believe. Danilo Cuellar 3. So either, either one of those methods, if you are able to donate, I would be most appreciative. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a magnificent day.